Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. How many of you 11 o'clockers are normally 9.30 people? Except for when you lose an hour. Absolutely. Hey, I want to tell you a couple of things, and then I will get straight into this series that I am loving teaching, and I, I love what God did among us last week um, through the fire. But a couple of things first. For starters, we are four weeks away from Easter 2023 here at Epic. I'm excited about worshiping the risen Lord. Anybody else? Easter Sunday, you're like, when is it, Ben? I know it's the other March or April. I'm not sure how they make the decision about that, but it is April the 9th, and we will have three Easter gatherings, 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 12 o'clock p.m., and I want you to, I'm telling you that this 28 days out, I want you to be thinking about who would you just love to see, so don't even worry about what they might say, but who would you love to see join you for this Easter? I want you to be thinking about that, and I want you to be praying about both your courage and the right timing and schedule the timing, and be praying about the receptivity on the other side of your invite. But as you pray, I often want to use, and I want you to use your imagination. Just imagine your invitation leading to their transformation. Like, Ben, it's, it can be that easy. It can be that easy and that profound. But I know it's challenging for a lot of us. So go ahead, like just make a list of a few names. I'm going to do the same. You have permission to ask me how's it going as I'm praying through who am I going to invite and have I done it yet. You have permission to do that over the next 28 days, and I have permission to do it with you. Awesome. Hey, I did write a letter to our church on Friday in light of the closure, uh, the immediate closure of Silicon Valley Bank. And just so you know, the reason why we do things like that is when we hear from people in our community who are and potentially will be greatly affected by that. And um, so uh, a couple of things I want to say, like, we don't know what's going to happen, but I want to speak into the space in our uncertainty. And I want to tell you a few things, if you have been affected. And if you've not been affected by that, there are people in our church who have been, many of them. And uh, our church could even down the road be affected by this. And so it is a serious thing. But I want to say if you've been affected, we want you to know a few things. One, you're not alone. Like this whole series about how God walks through fires with us. And I know some of you are like, Ben, every time we do a series like this, something happens. <laughs> I know. I'm with you. Trust me, my nature is to just do joy series. Let's just be joyful and optimistic. I, that's my jam, and if you know me, but I, but I know that we've got to walk into these spaces, at least to keep myself honest as a teacher. Uh, I also want you to know this. This is a great time. We didn't, we, I never asked for a crisis, but it's what I do in the crisis moment that often defines my faith for the future. And I want you to know that this is a great time to re-engage your faith or to draw nearer to Jesus and to the people of God. Would you agree? And it's something that I want us to do. So if you just open your hands, I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to just pray Psalm 23 over you. And now the good news is this. This is a great word no matter what you're going through, no matter what's ahead for you this week. And so just receive it and see which one of these lines resonates with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He Leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. We need guidance. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the middle of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, may you meet us in this space. May you teach us. May you draw us to yourself. May you deepen our faith. And we do pray for the right kind of deliverance and rescue that we're asking you to do. In Christ's name, amen. I do want you to know before I get into the very first question I'm going to lead off with in this message that um, I've not added anything to this message as of Friday, but I think it's very apropos to what is going on in our world. Um, this has been written in full, I don't know, 30 days or, or so ago, and I just want you to know that I think it speaks to that situation and whatever situation you are going through. Here's the question I want to lead with, and it's one I've been pondering for months myself. How many of our biggest regrets have come from what we overvalue or undervalue? I'm going to wait till we're all up. Like, I'm just, I'm here. I, there's no other service. I don't mind eating cold next steps lunch. I mean, how many of your biggest regrets and my biggest regrets have come from what we either overvalue or what we undervalue? I told you, I've been thinking about this for months. At the end of last year, there was... And nothing was crazy wrong that I could tell, but there was something in my heart and something in my mind, and I was trying to discern what is going on. And here's what was going on for me, and see if you can relate. There were a couple of really important things that I wasn't giving enough weight and attention to. And there were so many insignificant things that I was giving too much attention to. Anybody else? And I wonder, and this is a big statement and question, but I wonder, could the biggest issue we have as individuals and collectively as a human race, could the biggest issue be that we simply haven't right-sized the value of things? Could, could that be? Like, just help me understand, and I'll know if you're with me, if you can resonate. Is it possible that we have overvalued our career trajectory, but we have undervalued our character trajectory? Have we overvalued material possessions, but we've undervalued human relationships? Is it possible that we have overvalued safety and comfort, but we have undervalued the actual life of faith we were created to live? Just me? And I wonder if everything could be set right simply by us giving adequate value to what something is worth. In fact, here's the question you'll see on the screen. What, what would happen if we started valuing everything according to what it was truly worth? Wouldn't that be freeing? If you could just set things in the right place, and by the way, most things have some value, but if we are saying it's worth more than it's actually worth, that's going to make things go bad. Or if we're saying it's not as valuable as it actually is valuable, then that's going to make things go bad. Again, show of hands, anybody else besides me have regrets because you've overvalued some things and undervalued other things? Yeah, it's all of us. And so what I want to do today is I want to speak into and kind of frame this teaching around how you and I should value things, how we should value people, and how we should value gods. Plural, intentionally, yes, I know. What kind of church is this? We'll get to the one true God. We're going to start with gods. Here's the title of my message today. What is worth your worship? And it's not a rhetorical one. I really want you to be thinking about it. What is worth your worship? Or to think about it in a different way is, like, am I right-sizing the value of God, 
people and things in my life. We're going to spend the next two weeks in Daniel chapter 8. Today we're going to cover verses 1 through 18. So probably do a little more exercise getting ready for this than you normally would. And stand with me. Everybody loose enough? Daniel 3, 1 through 18. And, and by the way, you don't have to stand. I mean, the cameras will find you and we'll talk about you at staff meeting. And then we'll see if you have a medical condition. And if not, we'll make assumptions. Just kidding. We, we won't do that at all. Now, Nebuchadnezzar that we're going to read about, he, he might have done something like that. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned everybody, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Can you imagine Seth doing that? Hey guys, welcome to Worship at Epic. Um, if you guys sing, great. If you don't, well... We've, we're, we've got to, no, he's more kind than that. You're nothing like Nebuchadnezzar. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers or Chaldeans, depending on your translation, came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, I know, sorry, must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn flutes, the other lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're, I, I, musicians are like, come on, give space to recognize all of the different instruments, Jonathan. If you're ready to fall down and worship after those things play, Good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Listen to this question. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we could just stop being so defensive and just roll with our, gosh, predecisions. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Faith, we're full of faith, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Again, the question for today, knowing it could cost you your life, what is worth our worship? You may be seated. I'm so excited about this teaching. Nebuchadnezzar constructs this image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Why does he do it? Well, for starters, in chapter 2, you'll see a dream Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel interprets, and in the dream, there's a, something like that, or maybe exactly what he saw in his dream. But as I think about why you would construct an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, can we just say narcissist? 
And this is where we feel so proud about it. We would never do something that grandiose or self-obsessed. But let me tell you, every single one of us has a little Nebuchadnezzar living in our hearts. And should we be given an opportunity and power that this man had, who knows if our hearts haven't been protected, if our hearts haven't been cultivated in the right way, and if we haven't been formed, who knows what we would do with this? Who knows? And so we're not, the king of Babylon, worried about making 90-foot-high statues of ourselves out of gold. But here's the question. How important is your image to you? I thought mine was not a big deal to me at all until I got shingles in the face. I kind of care about that. How are we doing? I know, I know. February 4th, just for starters. But how much do you care about your image? Another way to ask it is, how much do you care about how much others care about you? Or how much do you think about how much others think about you? And how much of their opinion of you or your, it's usually not their opinion of me that drives me the wrong way. It's my perceived opinion of their opinion that drives me the wrong way, right? I'm like, oh, I wonder what so-and-so is thinking about me. And hey, flat, here's a news flash for you. If you walk around like I do at times, what does so-and-so think about me? Let me tell you, for most, like 80 or 90% of them, they're not thinking about you at all. <laughs> but you thinking what they're thinking of you puts you in a spiral, doesn't it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about you since I saw you last, like a year ago. Oh. And here's another question that Nebuchadnezzar answered, but we all have to answer is, where do you find your worth? Where do you find your worth? Is it in recognition? Is it in salary or benefits or status or bank account? Is it in your marital status? Is it in the university that you went to? Is it in being a great mom? Is it being an okay dad? Is it in being a religious person? Is it in being a, a servant-hearted person? The will was pushing for that in the right way. Second, is it the fact that everybody sees you as a leader? Where do you find your worth? Now, what a lot of us think is, um, yeah, Ben, I struggle with self-worth, but if I had just like this next layered up position, or if I had a home in San Francisco, or, or if I had this much kind of like spiritual formation, then my worth would be good to go. But, but let's recognize something in the story. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. For every one of us in this room who say to ourselves or say out loud, if I had a significant position, that would be enough. He is the king over the biggest empire in the world at this time. And guess what it isn't for Nebuchadnezzar? It's not enough. He's got all the power. He's got all the say-so. And it isn't enough. He needs everyone. There's something in him that causes him to need everyone around him to inflate him. And when you and I, doesn't matter how old or young you are, what gender you are, or what country you are from, when you don't get your self-worth and your identity from God, you will walk up to people and you'll walk up to things you're trying to accomplish and say, hey, will you just inflate me a little bit? And what some of us need today is to fall flat on our face. You know, like when you go to the beach and you're like, oh man, I am, kids, I don't know. We need to get an automatic pump because I'm not going to blow into that big ring. I'm just not going to do that. But to be able to travel home from a place that you go, anybody wish they could be at the beach? Anybody over this weather? Yeah. But to fly back home, you've got one or two decisions to make, and I won't tell you which decision I would make because you'll think I'm a bad steward. But you either have to deflate that thing and take it with you or you just leave it for the next guest. Can I get a witness? I'm like, sorry, I don't have time for that. But I wonder today, and this has not come to me till just now, but I wonder today if we need to be deflated by all of the things we've been trying to find our worth in so that we can be filled up with the only one who can give us our worth. 
We would not see that as a gift, but maybe the gift of God to you in this day for this season is to get deflated from all the things that are not going to matter and they're shallow anyway and to actually be inflated by something that holds. Would you like to be inflated with with something that holds when you don't have success? Would you like to have inflation from God on something that will hold when your identity doesn't come from where you work or where you don't work or where you used to work? I need something that will fill me up enough so that even if you tear me down, even if I have to walk away from this job, I'm not deflated because I built it on the right thing. That's available to you. It's available to all of us. I don't know what it was in Nebuchadnezzar, if it was his um, insecurity, if it was a self-esteem issue. I, I don't know if he had imposter syndrome. I don't, I, I don't know what was going on for Nebuchadnezzar, but what I know is that he needed other people to inflate him. And so he builds this huge image, and they, they have this celebration plan. There's this dedication. And what's wild to me is, if I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I'm like, everyone, all the big positions, not just the servants, all the royal positions, everyone in the the entire kingdom is bowing down to me except three guys. I think I would take my percentages and just move on. But when you need everyone around you to inflate you, the fact that there's three not participating means we've got to go after those three. And the astrologers come forward and they're like, Nebuchadnezzar, you just need to know something. When you played all of those beautiful instruments, everyone got down on their knees. Everyone gave you praise except for these three Jewish guys. Now, something to know about these three Jewish guys is Nebuchadnezzar loved these guys because of what they could bring. In chapter 1 of Daniel, he says that these guys were 10 times better than his best magicians. What do you do when you have to fire someone that you don't want to fire, but they went against the rule? And so the astrologer's like, hey, everybody in the kingdom is bowing down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As I think about that reality for them, let me ask you this question. Do the people around you know what you're not willing to do? Or are you a, it just kind of depends on the moment person. Do the people around you know what you're not willing to do? Do they know what lines you will not cross? Do they know what compromises you will not make? Do they know the places that even if your whole team goes to those places, you'll never go to those places? Do they know? And the astrologers, they, they say three things about these young men to Nebuchadnezzar. They say they, they pay no attention to you, they do not serve your gods, and they refuse to worship the image that you've put before them. Now, I think those all go together, but you know which one I think bothered Nebuchadnezzar the most based on what we just said? The fact that they pay no attention to you. Now, let's get straight. They pay a lot of attention to Nebuchadnezzar. You with me? They pay a lot. They do good work. They do such good work that they get favor. And you'll see throughout Daniel's story and these three guys' story, they all keep getting promoted because they're crushing it at the office. Anybody glad your office is a little different than the Babylonian Empire office? Whether you're like, oh, Ben, I'm at home. It kind of feels the same. Well, then get out. Just out of your home, not out of the job, unless it's one of those jobs. I'm just... He can't stand that they won't give him the attention he warrants and deserves and desires. Let me ask you a question. What do you think our attention has to do with who or what we worship? It starts with every and then it's thing. Everything. Here's what you need to know. We will all give our time and attention to what we value most. Do you know that? Let me tell you how we play this out, and I'm going to see nodding heads, no hands, just nodding heads or telling stories. You and I have full schedules, 
And we say we can't do these thousand things somebody asks us to do, but if we get asked to do something we find incredibly valuable, you know what we say? Oh, I'm free. And on the side, I'm like canceling with you. I'm like, hey, I've got a toothache. This past week, Sean and I had this exact example happen to us. It was a busy week for the Pilgreens, and um, thankfully we had Thursday night set aside as our one night at home this week. We're going to do this. Our kids need our presents. We're going to be at home this week. And at noon on Thursday, I got a text invitation to come to dinner with someone that we've been wanting to get to know better. So what did I do as a good pastor and father? Sure we can come. Yes, we can. You know, and then like, okay, we'll, um, yeah, make sure the kids have food, appease our dad and mom guilt a little bit. And then there was a 7.15 time to meet at this restaurant. And it was, you know, I was looking forward to that meal. Um, But we're kind of working through this. Hey, did we do the right thing? And so um, I don't know what you guys want to call this, but we get to the restaurant. The group's not there that we're supposed to be meeting. I text the person. I read back over the text. He's like, hey, can you and Shauna meet us for dinner? It's like uh, me and 10 other entrepreneurs. Would you be able to meet us for dinner? And we're like, yes. Um, So I'm texting him, and he's like, oh, that's tomorrow night. Guess who had Frosted Mini Wheats for dinner Thursday (laughs) night? Guess who ended up at a night at home Thursday night? But isn't it true that if you're full up, and it's true, you don't need to feel bad about this. This is just how value works, right? Justin, I know you, man. If if you're completely full and there's one of your favorite bands coming, you will do whatever it takes to be able to see that band. Is that fair? Mostly, mostly. He's got to work out his marriage situation first. Um, (laughs) But, but whatever we value, we'll do whatever it takes to have it. That's just the way value works. And you're like, Ben, that's, that's bad. No, that's just the way it is. It's, it's that way where we're talking spiritual, we're, you know, we're talking about uh, re- romantic relationships, we're talking about what we'll what we buy for ourselves, right? Right? Anybody ever done the thing like, I don't have any money to spend, and then you get this item, you're like, mm, I do, I have some money to spend, right? <laughs> but that's what we do with value. That, that's what all of us do with value, and that's what we do with our time and attention. We give it to whatever it is that we prioritize and worship the most. But, but, but attention has to do with formation, and it has to do with worship. And you need to know this. You are formed most by what you worship most. N- not, not by what you sing on a Sunday most. <laughs> what you actually worship most, that forms you most. It forms me most. Because we give all of our weight and value to the thing that we worship or to the God that we worship, which, of course, that would be the the aim that we're going for. John Mark Comer wrote it like this, because whatever you give your attention to is the person you become. So so what's got your attention these days? And how is it forming you? How is it creating who you are as a person? So these guys refuse to bow down, and Nebuchadnezzar, this is interesting to me, he's furious with rage, but he gives them another chance, doesn't he? And he basically says, okay, you didn't do it the first time. And it's, as I'm reading the commentators right, it's like out of everyone in the kingdom has bowed down, now it's just Nebuchadnezzar with these three guys. It's almost like this private opportunity to, to do something for the king where his eyes are going to, if you've got three people, you can watch three people at any time, right? And, and, and here's what he says. He's like, hey, guys, we're going to strike up the band again. And when we strike up the band this time, if you fall down and worship, very good. But if you refuse to worship, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then he asked this question, then what God will be able to save you? Now, it's not surprising anyone in that kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar has set himself up over all peoples in the kingdom. But now Nebuchadnezzar has set himself up over all gods in the universe. All gods in, in the universe. 
And I love what they say. We don't have to defend ourselves. Why don't they have to defend ourselves? Why don't they call a timeout and have an hour-long discussion? You know why? Because of last week's message. If you haven't listened to it, not for my sake, but for yours, go listen to it. The reason they didn't need to defend themselves or take a time out to have a long discussion, especially since they're seen as a group, is because they had already pre-decided that their worship wasn't for grabs. It wasn't for sale. They weren't waiting on what oftentimes we are waiting on. Let me ask you about your story as you think about their story. Do you believe that God is able to deliver you from the fire, or are you asking another God to do that? No, no, seriously, like, what are you depending on? If you're in a fire moment right now because of whatever crisis we're aware of in your life or we're not aware of, are, are you really believing? It doesn't mean you don't want other things. Guys, this is not about throwing away our desires. We should pray for rescues this week with the banking system. We should pray for a lot of things. But am I asking God to do more than I'm asking anyone else to do for the situation I find myself in? Do you believe that God is able to deliver you from the fire or are you asking another God to do that? Are you asking the God of wealth to deliver you? We want our governments to make the right decision, but are we asking our governments to do more for us than we're asking God to do for us? We want doctors to help us out, don't we? Of course. But are we asking a doctor to do something that we're not even yet asking God to do? And I love their even if faith. I love this because a lot of times we don't know how to navigate that, like believing God will do something, but not being presumptive of what he will do. And that's where they're at. They're like, we believe God can't. Our faith is strong. But you need to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that even if he doesn't, we're not riding with you. Yes, we'll work for you, but we won't worship you. We are with you until you ask us to worship what we know we weren't created to worship. And we don't care what happens. Even if. Even if. They made a front-end decision. If you are waiting to see what God does to determine whether or not you worship him, let me just say it this way. If you're waiting for outcomes to see whether God is worthy of your worship, then he must not be. That's not to be harsh. I just I need to give you that gift, and I need to give that myself. If I'm waiting to see how my kids turn out to determine whether or not God is worthy of worship, he's not. If I'm waiting to see if Epic can accomplish the big five-year vision and get into our space and all the things to see whether or not God is worthy of my worship, then he must not be. If you're waiting to see how God does the bailout this week before you decide if he's worthy of your worship, then he's not, not, he must not be. Why? Because that's the God you have made, which makes it a small God. I'm not interested in a small God who rides with me on the days when everything is up and to the right. I need a God who sits on a throne no matter what comes tomorrow, hell or high water or bankruptcy or loss of job or I can't stay in the city. I am riding with the king who will still be there when everyone else and everything else walks away or loses its value. And I'm passionate because I have been giving too much value to things that don't matter. Like, Ben, who cares how many books get sold or size of the church or what college the kids go to? You've been invited into a king, into a kingdom that has a king who will always be everything you ever hoped and more. Do you know the king? Do you know the kingdom he's invited you into? Will you worship God whether he rescues you or not? That's not a light question. I don't intend for it to be. That's not a let me answer this quickly. No, it's like really consider it. 
If you lose influence, will you worship him? If you lose the promotion, will you worship him? If you lose your wealth, will you worship him? And these guys are teaching us, if you lose your life, will you still really worship him? Because if you worship God, whether he rescues you or not, that will stand out. I mean, just look at my life. If you guys see me worshiping God when you know my circumstances are up and to the right, that might inspire you a little bit. But if you watch me hold on to my worship of God when things you know are a train wreck with my circumstances, which one inspires you more? It'll stand out. Tozer said it this way. The moment we make up our minds that we are going on with this determination to exalt God over all, we step out of the world's parade. But Ben, it might cost me something in the world. Just decide what kingdom you want to live for. All I want to say is place your bets on the kingdom that's likely to be here 10 years from now and 100 years from now and 1,000 years from now. Kingdom of Babylon, gone. Roman Empire, gone. Some of the kingdoms that have sprung up over the last couple of decades in the Bay Area, like, Ben, I hope it's not gone. Well, and some things I hope are not gone for you, but if it's a kingdom that you were looking for, that kingdom doesn't make it. It doesn't last. It doesn't go where you and I need it, where, where we need it to go. Here's what's true. You can undervalue or overvalue things. You can undervalue or overvalue people. You can undervalue God, but friends, you can never overvalue God. You can never go, did I push enough chips to his table? You can never go, did I really depend on him more than I should have depended on him? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says it like this. Therefore... Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, are you giving your life to a kingdom that can be or cannot be shaken? Another way to ask it is, are you giving yourself to a fluctuating kingdom? We'll wake up tomorrow, look at the stock market. We'll do it a year from now. We'll look at how we're doing out there in the world. Are we set up for our retirement goals? And I just want to keep asking us, are we, are we giving ourselves to a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Sean and I had a chance with some other pastors this weekend to attend a Journey of Generosity retreat, and it was really helpful uh, but there was a lot of conviction just for us personally. This wasn't about our churches. It was really about us. And, and one of the questions was, is, is it possible that I'm focusing way too much of my energy on this place where I will spend one billionth of my existence? That frames value in a different way, doesn't it? And if you've just lost a lot of your value, you're like, I'm so grateful. If you still have a lot of it, there's that tug and that test and that temptation. And I think we really need to be cognizant of what people are asking us to worship. So just think about this. Like, what is your family asking you to worship? What are your friends asking you to worship? What's the city of San Francisco? What about your boss and your company? What are they asking you to worship? And I think because we're a community trying to live this out together, we have to have each other. We need just to ask each other, what are we asking each other to worship? And I just want to confess, and I'll let you do yours when you need to, if you need to. 
Um, there are times where you will come away with a conversation for me, and you may not be convinced that Jesus is more important to me than anything in this universe. And I just want to, A, I want to own that. B, I want to confess that. And C, I want to just repent of that and go, no, I want you to know. There's a lot of things I have, and I, and I should value a lot of things, but what I want to value more than anything else is the king and the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen to how Tim Keller writes this in Counterfeit Gods. By, by the way, I'd love for you to join me in praying for Tim Keller. He let it be known today that uh, tumors back in his body, and so he'll be going through a huge immunotherapy thing in April, and he's been so helpful to the universal church. Um, here's what he writes in Counterfeit Gods. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Listen to this one. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. Is what you worship worthy of your worship? Is the thing you say in your heart of hearts, I've got to have that, and if I have that, then I've got everything that I need. Is it worthy of having that place, or do some things need to be reordered and revalued in your life like they do in my life? Is what you worship worthy of your worship? Like, Ben, how would I know? Well, a couple questions. Does its value fluctuate? Does it likely have an expiration date? Can it hold you up when everything else in the world lets you down? Before you even get to asking that spiritually, just ask it logically. So for those of us who love our jobs sometimes too much, is it always going to be there for me? No. I promise I will not be your 82-year-old pastor of Epic Church. If it's our kid's future... If it doesn't go the way you're banking on it going, what will you be left with? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. I want to read a verse of Scripture to you in just a moment, but I want to set up the moment for you. Um, it'll be from Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 9 through 11, which is the end of a beautiful hymn that Paul gave to the Philippians in chapter 2. I just want that question to keep ringing in your mind. What is worth your worship? The question that I gave a second ago is what you worship worthy of your worship? My sense is that um, probably every one of us in this room need to give careful consideration to what it is that we value. So let's just walk through your reflection. What are the things that should matter most that if you're honest, you haven't given sufficient time and energy to? 
know that God is gracious and he invites us to confess and repent and, and to acknowledge, hey, we, we want to do that differently from this day moving forward. And then let me ask us, um, what has some importance, but we've made it ultimate importance? And then the question we asked last week is like, what king and kingdom will we ultimately live for? stand as I read this Philippians 2, 9 through 11, and then I'm going to invite us to right-size the value of maybe anything in our lives, but for sure to right-size the value of the place Jesus has in our lives. So this beautiful hymn ends with these words in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It's speaking about Jesus, and here's what Paul writes, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at me quickly. There's a day coming where every person ever created is going to be on their knee and saying with their mouth, Wow. Jesus is Lord. I don't want your day for that moment to be the first moment that you declare it with your lips and you live it with your life. And so you're invited today to put all your weight, faith, hope, trust, value, priority in Jesus. Every other name is lesser name than his name. Every other kingdom has already gone extinct or will be extinct. But he reigns, and he will forever be the king. And you can come under his kingship. And he's not a king that lives like Nebuchadnezzar. He is a king that doesn't ask everyone else to humble themselves first. He humbles himself. He goes to the cross. He dies a death so that you could have life. That's your king. Lead us in this moment, man. We need to see rightly who he is. This altar's open. We have a chance to express our worship. And if you need to reprioritize some things, this is a great space to start that process now. It probably won't be the end of it, but let's start the conversation with God about what we got out of balance, what we undervalued, what we overvalued, and how he alone is worthy of our worship. Let's respond. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.